enjoy watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So we had a time of repentance and confession. We threw a little exorcism in there. And, you know, it was all, no, I'm just kidding. So, um, and that got me uh, starting to think about the Kardashians. And like, you know, I, I, I was uh, blissfully unaware of some of the things happening. And I just said, so what are they famous for? <clears throat> Do they sing? Do they dance? Do they act? Do they give spiritual insight? <laughs> so essentially, my friend said, uh, my relative said, well, essentially, they're famous for being famous. I was like, well, which came first? I, how, do you, how do you work that in, in that way? And now, uh, uh, I was thinking about that, and I decided in preparation for this sermon that I would binge watch the Kardashians all weekend. <laughs> Your opinion of me just suddenly dropped right there. No, no, I'm just kidding. But I, I was thinking about that, and uh, apparently they've been on the air for 10 years, so I've been blissfully unaware for 10 years. And um, and I, I'm just going to share why I think they're famous, and I might, I, I might be guilty of misrepresenting them. So forgive me if I am, but this is from an outsider's. I am not an expert on the Kardashians, but here's my theory, all right? Here's my theory is that they live a pretty shallow life, but they do it exceptionally well. All right, you see where I'm going with that? So, I mean, just from an outsider's view, and I haven't watched a full episode, I was gonna try and at least watch one, but I didn't have time. But it, just from, I mean, the, the glows, the glamour, uh, the wealth, the fame, I mean, isn't that awesome for being famous, for being famous? I mean, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to work anything. It's just all of that, and all of that, there is a glamour. And so I'm assuming that if you look at their lives, and it, my, my friend, in our flesh, uh, I'll join my friend in the confession. I would assume this, that in my flesh, to watch them would be like, man, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome? Right, to have that much wealth. Yeah, can you be with me in the flesh just that, right? No? Can you? Not even close. Some of you, this, that, wow, the glamour, the wealth, the fame, all of that. It's kind of like the American dream on steroids, right? It, this incredible vision of life that you could step into and be a part of that and live that life. Now, <clears throat> some of you know J.I. Packer. He's a famous theologian, and uh, he wrote Knowing God. I got a chance to hear him and uh, preach in Illinois. And as part of his sermon, I don't remember anything he said outside of this. He used Baywatch as an illustration. So I was thinking, should I use the Kardashians? No, he used Baywatch. I'm good. So that, that's right. So why do I use this, this idea? Why do I, I bring this up? Is we have been walking through the book of Romans. If you've brought your Bibles, please turn there with me. We're going to be in chapter 8. And uh, there are Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Uh, if you can find one, open up to Romans 8. And we have been walking through Romans, and Paul has been not only un unfolding the gospel for us, but he is also, especially right in Romans 8, he is revealing the stunning implications that the gospel has on our lives. That he's offering, in a sense, a new way to live, a, a different life, a, a deeper life. He's saying, like in chapter 5, that this could be a life that is filled with peace, peace with God and hope in God. That this chapter 6 is a life that's free from the things that bind us, that, that bondage of sin, that we don't have to continue to live 
in that ongoing sin, addiction, whatever that is, that, that in Christ we can uh, break from that and a new life in chapter six that we can actually live today alive in Christ. Amen. A different life, a deeper life, that we can live a life that's actually righteous. Righteous in the sense that we can be in a right relationship with God this uh, vertical relationship that we can walk in connection and intimacy with the creator of the universe and made right with one another, though he says pain and struggle will still be a part of it, that we can walk in relationship and in community with one another. People call this different things. They call it abundant life. We call it kingdom life here. What Paul is really gonna call it in chapter eight is a spirit-filled life, a spirit-led life. Life. This is where he's moving and shaping and directing. Now, part of Romans that we haven't been able to connect with as much, just because it perhaps wouldn't be um, as compelling for many of us, but he is also speaking to the Jews, uh, Jewish Christians. And the Jews, their lives were dominated by the Old Testament or Mosaic law. And they were walking, their lives, central to them was the law of God. And they lived and they, they paced their lives according to the law. And he's saying, I'm offering a different kind of life, not only to the Gentiles, right, and this way of living, but also to the Jews, Gentiles, you could argue, were, were dominating by pursuing all sorts of stuff in their lives, but Jews were really pursuing the law. And Paul, especially in chapter 7, he says this, listen, I've been there, I've done that, I have lived the life of a Jew where the, the law is dominating and it doesn't work. It doesn't get us to the life that we were born for. He says this, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. He was a religious leader, a teacher. He studied uh, with rabbis. As for zeal and passion, Longing, I persecuted the church. He was full of zeal. He was on it. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless, a faultless. No one, no one could even touch me. See if you can go with me on this. He was, in terms of Jewish perspective, he was the Kardashian of Kardashians. Some of you are with me, yeah, no? He, he was living the life based on the, on the law. This is Jewish context, but he was living it to perfection. He was going after it, and he's saying, listen, friends, that does not work. That does not work. And he's inviting us to, to open up our eyes and see this life ultimately is not the life that you were born for, ultimately is not the life. Now, can we translate that to the 21st century? I want to suggest to you that many of us, whether at an unconscious level or, or, or not, we're in this um, American dream, and, and we've got this backdrop that the good life is when we can live the American dream really, really well, right? Not all bad things about the American dream life, right? There's some really good things. There's also some really good things about the Jewish law and that kind of life. And so we're pursuing it, and we have this, you could call it this mindset that we're gaining and growing in wealth and our careers and our work, and our families. And Paul is saying, hey, pull back a second. 
Do you know that's ultimately not the life that God is calling you to? Even the best of the American dream life pales in comparison to the life that Jesus died for you to have. And I'm going to share it like this. The language that just helps me make sense of it. I, I do see the American life as a shallow life. As a shallow life. And I see the life in Christ as the life that has this, this depth and this texture and this meaning and this purpose. And Paul has been building on Romans, talking about the, the gospel and the sin that dominates the power of sin, the pollution of sin. And he's saying, don't you get it? By faith, Jesus died on the cross and we can have this categorically different life. But you have to embrace it and take it and step into it. And, and friends, I think we just step back into the American dream. And we look at when it's well done and we go, boy, that'd be, it'd be so nice to have no responsibility whatsoever. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to have uh, a couple of cars, like in a garage, right? That, I'm speaking as a guy, right? That... <laughs> Like, like the best cars? Yeah? A Volkswagen Bug. Now that. So, I think chapter 8 is about Paul inviting us into understanding this categorically different life, this spirit-filled life. This, this deep life with God. And, and let's unpack, I'm going to read just a, a few sections of Romans 8, starting at verse 1. And he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We've got a few things going on in our soul. A few things going on. One of the things is the law of sin and death. It, it dominates. And he's saying, don't you know, Christ died to break that law, to break that power, to break that work. Stop living in it. And now he wants to infuse and impart the law of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit who gives life. He set you free. For what the law, Old Testament law, was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. The law is good. Old Testament law is good. But when our flesh gets involved, it weakens it and it doesn't get us to the place we want. Uh, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's talking about Easter. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about this table of communion, that there was this law of sin in our lives that was leading because God is a, a just God and he punishes sin. If he didn't punish sin, he would not be a just God. And so there was a righteous requirement. And Jesus died on the cross and said, I'll take their punishment. I'll take their sin. And we're going to celebrate and remember that in a couple of minutes. And so Jesus came. He says, now verse 5, listen to the transition. He says, this has happened. Christ has accomplished this for you. Now you get to live differently. Those, verse 5, who live according to the flesh have their minds set 
on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Holy, the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The mind governed by the flesh is death. That's what it leads to, ultimately. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, which is good, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Let's pause right there. Another way to say this is when, when you're thinking about the deeper life, the, the life in Christ, the life that God is inviting us to live on a daily basis, mindset is crucial. Mindset is crucial. Did you see, did you notice how he used, I tried to emphasize as I read, he used, I thought it was a modern day talk of mindset. But right there, Paul, Paul is saying mindset is what matters. What do you set on your mind upon? When you get up in the morning, what are you thinking about right away and immediately? What are you focused on? The definition of a mindset is a set of assumptions and methods and goals held by one or more people. A whole group of people can have a particular mindset. So I think this begs the question, what's your mindset? What are you thinking about in those quiet moments in your life if you allow yourself to have any? What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling upon when you wake up in the middle of the night? What are you wrestling with? What, what keeps churning in your mind? Do you know what Paul is saying? Think of the term, it's a key word, contrast. He's contrasting Christ's life for us, a life in Christ, with a uh, life of the world. Flesh versus Holy Spirit life. And he's saying that you can have a mindset that reflects the world. A mindset that is more dominated, and we're just going to paint a big category of the American dream, right? Or you can have a mindset that is, you could say, the Christian dream, the life of Christ. I was in a small group a number of years ago, a different church previously, and this couple said, can you answer something? She, she didn't like this mindset that her husband had. And he just said, I, I want to be a millionaire. That's my mindset. I want to earn a million dollars in my lifetime. I'll do it in the way of Christ. I just want to... And so we wrestled through that and, and, and processed that. I didn't condemn that necessarily. But I, I was fascinated. That was his mindset. He got up every morning and his mindset was striving for wealth. That was his longing and desire. Now, I, I think spiritual maturity for him reflected, says, is that a, a place of godliness? Is that what the spirit is directing? Wrestle through that. If that is, how would he use that? All those kind of things. But it was, I was struck by the mindset that he had. What's your mindset? Ecclesiastes says this, what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? Many of our mindset is simply work. Would you say so? It's just work. Many of our mindset is relationships. All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Do you know that we can change a mindset? It's very, it's exceedingly hard to change a mindset. Um, one, one example of this is when the Soviet Union collapsed, the United States realized we had a Cold War mindset. We saw the world with one primary enemy. Now we realize that 
That's not our reality. We have several different uh, struggles with many different nations, right? We, the, the, the changing that we're facing, not anymore a political ideology, but especially religious ideologies that are contrary to ours. Paul right here is inviting you and I to shift from a, a Cold War mindset, from an American dream mindset, right, that's simply focused on work and relationships and striving and going after and getting, getting up in the morning, got my list and I'm going for it, to a mindset that reflects a Christian life, a life that is going after the things of God, a, a, a mindset that is going after, could my life today please God? Colossians 1, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Are we living lives that's worthy of this incredible gospel and sacrifice and call? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In our life group last week, we were talking about Romans. And we talked about, boy, what if we woke up and we ask this one question, how do I please God today? And I said, I think that would be a game changer, wouldn't it? Another group member said, I don't do that. I've got my list. I work my list. And I said, I think that would mean that you would put that as number one on your list. That, that you would begin setting your mind for the day, how would I please God? Here's the simplest way I can put it. In the morning, we have to make a decision either that we would go after building our kingdom or his kingdom. That we would seek to live a life based on our will or his will. Is that pretty simple? Right? So I woke up this morning, of course, knowing that I was going to preach this sermon and realizing, do you know, I could preach this sermon in a way that does not please God. Maybe you're like, yeah, I think he's doing that this morning. <laughs> right? But on the alternative, I think it has to do with prayer and attitude and focus and attention, I can hopefully preach this prayer in a way that honors God. Amen. Same with you and your lives in what other, whatever job or school or relationship in just about every instance you could work your job in a way that you're pursuing the things of God through that job. You're working that job with a desire to please him. And I think that's when the Lord sees people seeking to do that when he starts bringing a depth of life that all of a sudden, even though we thought this was the thing in our job, he actually wanted to accomplish all these other things for his kingdom around that job. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, this shallow life of just working a job and putting food on the table and making ends meet, all of a sudden, it begins to have this depth and texture of the kingdom of God. And it becomes this abundant life that he calls us to. Mindset, absolutely huge. I wonder if that's why he starts the Lord's Prayer but I think he meant us to pray each day, each morning. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My will be done. That's not what it is, is it? What do we say? Your will be done. 
your, your kingdom come. Let's continue in Romans, starting, uh, picking it up. We ended verse 8, now in verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Think contrast again. But are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, our physical, our flesh is deteriorating. We're getting old, right? That's why I don't like when David reminds me of that, right? All right, we're, we're, we're getting there. But the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And he's working new life, not only in the soul, not only in the spirit, but listen, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He's saying that also this will translate someday you will have a resurrection physical body because you're living in Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, what Paul, a, a helpful word, I think, um, is also the deeper life is about direction. Let me, I'll unpack that for you in just a second. We are responding to the, are, are we responding to the outside world and living in response to that, or are we responding to our inside world where the Spirit of God dwells? So where is that? Um, uh, it's a contrast, you could say, of we're living either directionally outside in and responding, or we're living directionally inside out. Does that make sense? Um, James 4 says this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to Christians or non-Christians? He's talking to Christians. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. Do you not, uh, uh, you do not have because you do not ask God. What, Christians quarrel and fight? Huh. Now what's the source of that quarreling and fighting? Think of the word covet. What do we covet? Things we want. Things we see. Ooh, boy, that is a nice VW bug. Look at that. I, so, so we covet and we see in the outside world and we bring it in. I think this is the Kardashian appeal. We see it and we go, ooh, yeah. And our flesh goes, yes. Oh, I probably shouldn't. Well, you only live once, right? Paul was talking about this in chapter seven. This is one of my favorite, most authentic moments, I think, in Paul just sharing about his life. And he says this, for I have the desire to do what is good. We all have, most of us have the desire to do what is good, right? Right, not live this shallow, materialistic, striving life, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Can you relate to Paul? Right? That you, you see that and you laugh. I know. Okay, just this once. And I don't think there's any way I'll get caught. So I'm going to do it. All right, this, this idea, it's the, uh, it's the seeing the shiny thing, right? That, ooh, shiny. Me want. Me want. 
Yes, and, and it's this, this battle. I have a confession. I've already kind of shared it with you. I really like cars, right? I, I, I like really old cars. I look at cars on websites. I know there's no way I'm ever going to buy these cars, but I look at, and if I'm not really careful, it falls into coveting, and I have my mind set on the things of this world. Right? You pick your poison. You know what it is. I can't tell you. I mean, uh, Calvin was sharing. He loves the Kardashians. So he's working through that. These things. Now, but do, you, you see this. Now, now let me give you an example of this daily temptation. Paul says here's another way to do it. Is not simply respond to what's in the world and take it in your soul and go, yes. But Galatians 5, he also says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so you are, uh, so you are not to do whatever you want. Every day, we're faced with this opportunity to either live outside in or inside out. Here's my suggestion for you. I think that this might be helpful, certainly helpful for me, is I get to live, I, I, I'm better at living inside out when I'm having a spirit-to-spirit -spirit conversation on a daily basis. And explain what that is. A spirit-to-spirit -spirit conversation is the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is here. And you know you have a little spirit in you. It's your spirit, okay? And he, you're the temple of God, and he's there. And you get, he's our counselor. He's our advocate. And he wants to speak. In fact, he is speaking the only question is whether we're listening. And we get to have a conversation that happens right here on a regular basis. And we get to not simply take things from the world that come at us and fill our soul, and then we respond, we re react, and it usually doesn't go good, right? But we get to have a conversation about that with the Holy Spirit. We get to take it in and say, God, I don't want to respond with the flesh. How would you respond? In this world, we're going to take shots, aren't we? There's going to be that diagnosis that's from the world. There's going to be the relational pain. People are going to say things and do things that hurt and are difficult and want to fill our soul that we're going to work a job and our, our supervisor, our boss, whatever, uh, is going to do things that are hurtful and sometimes even shameful or even abusive, some of those things. Our parents, our kids are going to do, we're just going to take the shots. That's part of living in a broken world, right? We're all going to take it. The kingdom life is not about not taking the shots. Jesus said, you'll face trouble. But here's the difference maker, is you get to take those shots in you. I took some shots this past week. I said, Lord, I, I don't want to respond, I don't want to let bitterness or unforgiveness fill my soul. I want to respond, not on my flesh, but how you want me to respond. That spirit-to-spirit -spirit conversation Friends, we get to have that if we'd simply quiet our lives enough to discern his still small voice. He's speaking. He's speaking. But if the volume in our lives is so high, we're going to live according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. finish this third and final part of 
Romans 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughterhood. And by him we cry, Abba. That's Arabic for dad. Very intimate. Son, daughter, how a, uh, a, a little boy or a little girl would say, dad. It says, the spirit of God works in your spirit and leads your spirit to go, dad, Abba, father. received and brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit, Holy Spirit himself, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I'm going to unpack little bit of the sharing of, in his suffering and the glory next week, right? But I want to focus on this word. The deeper life is, is not only about direction and how we live. The, the, the deeper life is not only about mindset. It's also about identity. Did you hear that in these beautiful passages? That the deeper life is really asking this question do you know whose you are? Do you know, above all else, you have this Abba Father who loves you? Another way to ask that question is, where do you find mostly that sense of who you are? When you think about yourself, um, it was beautiful last week. For those of you who were here last week, Pastor Ben was here. So good to have him back talking about his family. Talked about Taylor, Stevie Joy. I also talked about Beniam and his, that's uh, their adopted son. And he was talking from a father's perspective as he doesn't see Beniam always as his adopted son. He just sees him as a son. Just loves him as his kid. It's not like he thinks about that all the day. No, it's just, it's his son. It's a beautiful expression of God's perspective of us. He doesn't see us for our, our, our sin or our brokenness or really even um, any other way outside of he sees us as sons and daughters. But I was also thinking about Beniam's perspective. And where will Beniam find his sense of identity. Now, for sure, I believe that he will find a sense of identity as Ben and Katie's son, which is a good thing. It's not the most important thing in his life. I think Ben and Katie would agree with me on this. What's the most important place he finds a sense of identity? Abba Father his relationship with God. The center of his identity, you can put it that way. You see, that, that, that center, so often, that's why Paul says in Galatians 3, he says, do you know in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, uh, male or female, we all belong to Christ. Those are old def definitions that give way to finding our sense centered on who Jesus is. So often we identify with the world and we take on our identities from the world, right? Think about that. Some of us identify especially with what we do. I'm a pastor, I'm a, I'm a soldier, I'm a, a teacher, I'm an engineer. That, that, that's who we are, I do this. 
That's why employment can be so, unemployment can be so hard because it's messing with our sense of identity. Sometimes we find our identity ultimately in our relational terms. I'm a father or a mother, a sister or a brother, a good friend, a good neighbor. And then when we lose that primary relationship, it messes with our sense of identity and who we are. We can find it in societal terms. I'm black, I'm white, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm gay, I'm straight. Sometimes we find that in what we've done and oftentimes not good things that we've done. I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm a murderer. And yet all of that, Paul is saying, no, that, that's not the source. That's not the deeper life. That is a shallow way of understanding who you are and the life that God has called you to. The deepest way to understand who you are is it begins with the Holy Spirit of God filling your soul and saying, don't you get it, you're mine. I died for you. I love you. I allowed my son to sacrifice everything so that you would know I'm adopting you back and you're mine and I'm never going to let you go. That's the center of identity. Remember uh, in uh, John and we're going to be talking about, I don't know if I'll talk about this passage or not at Easter, but at Easter, in the Easter story, and Mary Magdalene sees Jesus, and she says, Rabboni, right? She yells out, and she clings to him, and he's like, no, 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 let go. You need to tell the disciples, give them this message. And I, I'm always blown away every Easter by what he tells her to tell the disciples, right? They... They abandoned him, they, they deserted him, he died on the cross, and yet he was resurrected, he hasn't ascended yet, and he says this to Mary, he says, go, don't hold on to me, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending, do we have that passage, go to uh, the John, I think I skipped around, so my fault, go one more, there it is, go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father. Just in case we, we missed it, he says, to my God and to your God. He's saying no longer are you a, an enemy of God or living a life contrary to God, or you shouldn't be. No longer do you, do you have to wonder who your father is and who your God is. Don't you know that why Christ died is so that we might walk with God as our Abba Father? That we might find that sense of who we are. Yes, we're, we're going to find it in, in those things of what we do and, and uh, you know, some of the societal things. It's not that those things are bad. That's not what we're going to build our life upon. We're going to build our life upon that relationship between us and our Abba Father. All right. Did we find that clip? Do we have? It's such a short clip. All right. I, I started with the Kardashians. I thought I would finish with the Devil Wears Prada. All right. Now, for some of you who haven't seen it, it's actually Calvin's favorite movie. No, I'm just kidding. That. So, so you've got this climactic moment. It's the end. It's just very short. And Anne Hathaway's character is realizing she might not want the glamour and the wealth and all that uh, goes along with Meryl Streep's character, right? And, and she's having this moment in the car, and she's like, I might not want that. And listen to Meryl Streep's uh, response.
And then she throws the phone in the fountain. What'd she just do there? She made a choice. What was the choice? To walk away from that really shallow life. It had a lot of glamour. There's a lot of glitz. You you could say that is another picture of the American dreams on on steroid, right? I'd like to think that Every day I'm going to choose not to strive for that shallow life. But I'm really going to believe that intimacy with Abba Father is more important than any material peace I could ever acquire. That to live a life connected to a greater purpose than just my own kingdom and my own wants and my own will, it's worth it. That, that sense of meaning and purpose, that, that depth. To, to, to choose a life that community, real community, not just casual community, not just, oh, how was your day? It was a nice day today, wasn't it? But like, how you doing? Let, let me pray for you. Real community, that... That's the life. That's the spirit-filled life. That's the abundant life. Not in the devil wears Prada abundant life. Not in the Kardashian abundant life. That's not what scripture means by abundant life. It's abundant in the things of God. In the depths of God. Let's choose that life. That is why he died. Let's pray. So, Father, would you prepare our hearts for communion? Would you prepare us to take and remember your broken body and your shed blood? Jesus, we realize this morning that you died so that we might truly live. To live a life that is full of your presence and purpose, your meaning, your love, your mercy and your kindness. I'd like to invite the elders forward. Never done communion with us. We have a, a station for each section. So at the appropriate time uh, in your section, if you could leave to your exit to your left, come to the station that's in front of your section. Hold on to the elements and bring the elements back. Go to your right and bring the elements back with you. We'd like to take the elements together as a community of faith. It was the night that 
Jesus was to be betrayed the night that he would die, be crucified on the cross. And yet this desire in his heart was for his disciples and for you and I to really open up the way of the life that we had lost because of our sin. He said, I'll take that and I'll give you new life, abundant life. He took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this is a new covenant. It is a new relationship with the Father, my Father and your Father. It is a new way to live that he opened up for us. He said, take and drink. I would say it's an invitation to not only remember his sacrifice that he's opened, but then to take it and go live this new life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if his spirit is living within you, then the table is ready. Would you come and take?
Can we stand together? He is our hero. He is our rescuer. He wouldn't leave us crushed and alone and separated from him. He wouldn't leave us to this empty life and existence. He ransomed us. He he redeems us. He loves us. Take the precious body of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus. Take, eat, and drink. Continue responding in worship. Let's just sing that first verse together. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son. To make a wretch his treasure. again to open your hands, open your palms if you want in order to receive and in order to give and surrender. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you go in the name of Christ and take hold of the life he's died for you to have in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you.